Hello and welcome to the Fit Leaders Podcast, the podcast for leaders seeking sustainable success. I'm your host, David Chinsky, founder of the Institute for Leadership Fitness and creator of Fit Leaders Academy. Join me as we explore how leaders help their organizations move from confusion to clarity, from fear to confidence, from frustration to effectiveness, and from overwhelm to vitality. In today's podcast, we explore the issue of feedback. Often, we avoid sitting down with people that report to us, people we work with, our peers and colleagues, and even our bosses, to share with them information that we think they need to hear because we're afraid that they won't take it in the right way. We're afraid that we might ruffle their feathers, hurt their feelings, and as a result, we often neglect taking the opportunity to provide our people with input that can guide their future behavior. One of the reasons I believe we are hesitant to give feedback is that we lack a process. We don't have a structure to help us have the conversation. And many of us often choose to just ignore the situation, hoping that it will go away, hoping that things will get better. I don't know about you. My experience is that that usually doesn't work. When we let issues fester, they often just get worse and we become more resentful. So I want to talk today about a process that you can use when providing constructive feedback. And before we talk about this model of constructive feedback, I also want to make sure that we know the importance of giving regular positive feedback. Often we hesitate to give constructive feedback because we haven't talked to people about the things that they're doing well. And we're concerned that our conversation will elicit the idea that we're only going to have a conversation with you when you're doing something wrong. If that's the case, then it's probably going to be a difficult conversation if people don't know deep down that we actually do trust them, we actually have seen them do great work. So it's really important to take every opportunity we have to recognize the good work that our people do. And that feedback should be as specific as it can be. At a boy, at a girl, feedback is quite meaningless. If if you tell me, good job, great job, it might feel good for a moment or two, although I really don't know what I did well and what you'd like me to repeat. So saying, great job, isn't enough. I need you to say something like, David, I just wanted to tell you I really appreciated the time you spent getting us ready for that meeting. It really showed, it really helped us focus on the most important issues. Thank you very much. Now, there's a real difference between great job and that more specific, more detailed description of what I did. So let's make sure that we take the time to give positive feedback so that when we give constructive feedback, people have already been grounded in the belief and the reality that on the whole, they are doing great work for us. So let's talk about constructive feedback. Constructive feedback clearly is offered in the spirit of continuous improvement. We're looking to share with 
our direct reports or our colleagues or our bosses behaviors or attitudes that are getting in the way, that don't seem to be creating the outcomes that, that we need. And so I'm going to outline a seven-step process, and I'm going to focus primarily on the first three of those seven steps. The first step is describe the performance problem. So let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say you've been coming late to our meetings. Now, if I gave you feedback in a non-constructive way, in a negative way, it might sound something like this. You know, I want to talk with you about something I've noticed. I've noticed that you've been late to our meetings. What's wrong with you? Do you not know how to tell time? Do I need to buy you an alarm clock? I, I hope you can see that that approach is not likely to make someone feel open to having this conversation. In fact, what we do when we when we go negative, when we make it all about the person, when we point fingers, when we blame, when we make someone feel small, is we take their focus completely off of the situation at hand, which is their lateness. That's what we want them to be thinking about. Instead, by going negative and not constructive, we end up creating a whole, a whole new problem, which is a relationship problem. How dare you talk to me like that? So let me give you the example of this first step that's designed to neutralize, if not eliminate, this defensiveness that often accompanies constructive feedback, particularly if we give it in a non-constructive way or a negative way, which is the example I just gave. So here's another way of having that conversation about being late that is not negative and instead is constructive. I want to talk with you about something I've noticed. I've noticed that you've been late to four of our last five meetings. That's step one. Describe the performance problem. Now you might think, well, don't we need to give some examples and shouldn't we talk a little longer? The problem we often have in giving constructive feedback is we talk too long. <laughs> And that's when people's eyes glaze over. That's when people want to intervene. They want to interrupt. They want to become defensive. What do you mean? Who else is late? I'm not the only one. Are you talking to that person? If we can't describe the problem in 30 seconds or less, then there's a good chance we don't know what the problem is ourselves. So we really need to take the time before the conversation to really be able to crystallize what that issue, what that problem is so that we can convey it in 30 seconds or less. Now, let me give you another example. I want to talk with you about something I've noticed in our leadership team meetings. I've noticed that you are the first to go negative. You're the first to criticize what other people say before asking questions to seek clarification. Again, that's it. That's step one. Describe the problem. It should be very clear to the person you're having the conversation with what this conversation is about. In the first case, it's about the fact that you've been coming late to four of our last five meetings. In the second example, it's that when you are in our meetings, you're the first to go negative. Now, the second step, which is explain the impact, is the most important step of the seven-step process because the real issue at hand is not the problem itself. It's the impact that the problem creates. So let me give you 
step two as a follow-up to step one for both of these examples. So if we look at the tardiness example, I wanna talk with you about the fact that you've been late to four of our last five meetings. That's step one. Step two, explain the impact would simply be when you're late. It causes everybody to notice your late arrival. They take their attention off of our agenda and it really messes with the momentum of our meeting and, and our productivity as a team. Again, the impact is best delivered in 30 seconds or less. And the reason this step is so important is that it's designed to get people to realize that they're creating an impact that we assume they don't want to be responsible for and are probably not trying to create. So I trust that when someone comes late to my meeting, they're not coming late to the meeting because they want to mess with my momentum. They're coming late for a reason, which we'll get to in the third step. And yet I want them to know that this is what happens when they're late, that it takes people's attention off of our meeting process and meeting agenda. Now, let me give you step two, explain the impact for that second example where someone was going negative early in the discussion. So let me recap the step one for that example. I want to talk with you about the fact that in our leadership meetings, I've noticed that you are the first to go negative. You're the first to go after someone and criticize them. When you do that, so here's step two, explain the impact. When you do that, I see other people withdrawing for fear that if they say something, they'll be your next victim. Now, I might not say it exactly that way. I might say something like, they're afraid that if they say something, you'll criticize them. And so they choose not to participate. And that really works against the environment I'm trying to create on our team where everyone feels safe to share their unique perspective. Now, that might have gone a little longer than 30 seconds. It's really important to make sure that we keep it to 30 seconds so that it's crisp and tight. Because the third step, which is the third, the last step in the setup of this conversation is all about helping the person we're talking with to identify the cause of their lateness or the, or the reason why they are going negative right out of the gate. And we want to get through the first three steps in about a minute or less so that we can turn the conversation over to the person we're giving feedback to. So in the case of coming late, I want to talk with you about the fact that you've been coming late to our meetings. In fact, you've been late to four of our last five meetings. When you're late, it causes other people to notice your late arrival, greet you, and as a result, they lose their place in our meeting, and it really messes with our productivity. Here's step three. What's preventing you from coming to our meetings on time? So we're not going to tell the person what we think is causing their lateness. We're not going to say something like, if you really cared about us, you'd come to our meetings on time. We don't know whether someone cares about us or not. We don't want to moralize. We don't want to judge. We can't really get inside their heart or their mind. We want them to tell us why they think this is happening. Now, it might be that the answer to that question is, well, the last meeting I was at went right up to the last minute and I had to walk to your meeting and there was no way I could get to your meeting on time. Now, that's often a very true and, and real answer and it's a systemic problem we have in organizations where we, 
we meet hour after hour after hour, and it is difficult, if not impossible, to show up instantly at the beginning of an hour when we're sitting in another meeting up to the end of that hour. I've been a a big proponent for years that we go back to the experience we had in high school where we had passing time. The bell rang five minutes or 10 minutes before the hour, so you had time to go back to your locker. You had time to go to the bathroom. You had time to get ready for your next meeting so that we don't set people up for failure. So that is a, a, a possible reason that, that people are late, and we might have to figure out how to solve that as an organization. Another reason we might hear if we ask what's preventing you from getting to our meetings on time, let's say it's a, an early morning meeting. We might hear something like, well, you know, my child care giver just quit without notice. And I absolutely have to get my kids on the bus safely in the morning for school before I come to work. I mean, that's, that is my number one priority. I have to do that. Now, that's important for us to know. That's why we're asking the question. We don't want to over-engineer a solution to the problem before understanding what the cause is. So if that was what we heard, and if we had the opportunity, the ability to change the meeting time, we might do that if it didn't interfere with everyone else's schedule. So having lost your child care giver and needing to get your kids on the bus safely isn't, isn't necessarily an excuse for not getting to our meeting on time. We may still need that individual to find a way to get their kids on the bus safely and, and for them to still be at our meeting on time. Although if we could very simply fix this situation, if only in the short term, by adjusting the start time of our meeting, why wouldn't we do it? So that's why it's so important to understand from the perspective of the person we're speaking with what the issue is. So let's let's go to that second example of becoming critical. I'm talking to someone who who goes for the juggler right away. And so if I were to say to that person, so what's preventing you from asking some questions at, at the outset of our conversation to try to better understand what the other person is saying before becoming critical? We might hear that they just thought it's their job to you know, criticize other people's thoughts, to, to objectively point out when they think someone is not being clear or if someone is wrong. So that's that's a valuable answer. And so we then might need to go back and say, well, what do you think the impact on other people is when you do that in that way? So once we ask this third step question, identify the cause, we have to be open to anything that comes our way. In fact, when we get this answer to this third step, which is identify the cause, we often have the opportunity to dig a little more deeply, peel away at the onion by asking some additional questions. Once we understand the cause, then we can move on to the fourth step, which is develop an action plan. This is where we try to come up with a solution. Now, most constructive feedback conversations fail because we tend to start with step one, which is define the problem, and then we go right to step four, which is, okay, so what are you going to do about it? What's the action plan? Our process has a couple of intermediate steps very purposefully to first explain the impact to the individual so they understand what the outcome is of their behavior and hopefully get them to identify and relate to it and own it. And we also have this step, this third step of identifying the cause where they can begin to think about what might be causing them to do what it is that we're describing as the problem, then we're going to be in a much better position 
to come up with a solution that fits the cause. So let me summarize the first four steps of this seven-step process. We first describe the performance problem in 30 seconds or less. We then explain the impact in 30 seconds or less. We then ask one good open-ended question, a question that usually begins with what or how. And then we move into step four, which is all about looking for the person we're giving feedback to, to develop some corrective action plan, to tell us what they're committed to doing differently so that they begin to come to our meetings on time, so that they begin to be more curious and ask more questions before going on the attack with their colleagues. The last three steps of this seven-step process are more housekeeping steps. The fifth step, is simply to confirm understanding. We don't want to end the conversation without a summary of what we've said and what we've agreed to. There's nothing worse than leaving a constructive feedback conversation where someone said they would start doing something differently only to arrive a week or a month or six weeks later when you expect it to see a change and then have the person say to you, oh, that's not what I thought I agreed to or that's not what I believe we said we were going to do. So I want to remove any ambiguity before we end our conversation. The best way to do that is to ask the other person to simply summarize the conversation and what they have agreed to do. It's always better for them to do it than for us to do it. If they won't do it, then we have to do it. So that if there's any misunderstanding, any disagreement over what we said and what we agreed to do, we get that resolved before we walk away. So that's step five, confirm understanding. Step six is document the conversation. Now, I don't mean write someone up. So many organizations have what we call a progressive discipline policy, which ratchets up the kinds of conversations we have with people who are behaving in a way that, that needs to change. And we call it progressive discipline because each subsequent conversation makes it clearer that we might end up having to dismiss the employee. Now, this seven-step process that I'm teaching you today in this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for your progressive discipline policy. In fact, it's designed instead to help prevent the need to use your progressive discipline policy because if we have these conversations at the teachable moment, as close to the event that requires the feedback to be given, there's a good chance that we can correct this situation without having to write someone out, without having to revert to any formal discipline. Now, if after having the conversation using this process that I'm, that I'm describing doesn't work, if after two conversations, the person is persisting in the behavior you're seeking to correct, then you do want to consider moving into your progressive discipline policy. One of the things we don't want to have happen is to have these behaviors persist simply because we don't want to move the process along. Too often we tolerate bad behavior for such a long time that then it gets out of hand. We become resentful. The other people that work for us wonder why we're not doing something to address this situation. So if we do need to move into progressive discipline, we want to do it quickly. And my recommendation is to do it if after using this seven-step process, 
twice doesn't work, then it's appropriate. So if I have a conversation about you being late, you agree that you're going to do something to to show up on time in the future, you continue to be late, I might have a second conversation that might go something like, you know, I want to talk with you about something. You, you and I had this conversation a few weeks ago about your lateness. I talked about what happened when you were late. You told me why you were late. And you agreed that you were going to listen to the weather report, listen to the traffic report, and make sure that you left your house early enough in the morning to get to our meetings on time. And you are continuing to be late. What have you made more important than doing what you said you were going to do? Or what are you committed to doing so that this problem goes away? So I will often give a second chance using this process. If the problem still doesn't go away, then I may need to use the progressive discipline policy, which usually has more teeth and communicates to the person that there's now a risk that they could possibly lose their job if they don't correct the problem. So document the conversation really just means jot down a few notes so that you know when you had the conversation, what the individual said they were going to do. So if you do need to sit down a second time, you can just check your notes. It doesn't mean any kind of formal written communication to that individual. The last step, step seven, is follow up. So if someone agreed to do something and they don't do it by the time they say they're going to do it, then we have to have another conversation. If not, there's no accountability. And we have to have these conversations. It's the only way behavior will ever change. If we don't have these conversations, we shouldn't expect that anything is going to change, that the behavior is going to be any different. Seven steps. Describe the performance problem in 30 seconds or less. Explain the impact in 30 seconds or less. Identify the cause. Ask one good question, five to 10 seconds, that encourages the person receiving the feedback to tell us why they think this is happening. Step four, work with the individual to develop a plan. It's always best for them to come up with the plan first rather than us telling them what they should do. Our people will always be more accountable for what they say they will do than what we tell them to do. Step five is confirm understanding. Make sure you're on the same page before ending the conversation. Step six, document the conversation. Some quick notes to file so you know what was discussed. And finally, follow up to ensure that the person has done what they said they were going to do. So I encourage you to think about how you're giving feedback today. Think about how you might change the conversation by using the seven-step process and by making sure that positive feedback becomes a regular part of your walking around the organization. Look for opportunities to tell people when they're doing things well. It's highly motivational. And don't be afraid to have constructive conversations at the teachable moment, as close to the event as possible, so that the changes in behavior that you're seeking materialize. Until next time, be clear, be confident, be effective, and be vital.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.